What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. This is episode number five zero. Thank you for coming with me on this ride. It has been so much fun, and hopefully I will be doing 50 more and beyond. In this upcoming episode, I'm going to talk about the Buffalo Bills offseason, what they have going on in terms of signings that they've had early on, and some of the offseason needs that I believe the Bills should seriously target, whether in free agency or in the draft. Also in segment number two, I'm going to talk about Jim Weitzel's first year at the helm of the UB Bulls men's basketball team. So stick around and let's have some fun. Before we jump into this episode, I just want to say thank you for making me part of your week this week and every week right here on Sports Talk Buffalo. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the podcast, leave me a good five-star rating on whatever platform that you like to listen to me on, and most importantly, spread the word, tell your friends, tell your family. They can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor. They can also follow me on Twitter at SportsTalkBuff1. That's Sports Talk B-U-F-F-1 on Twitter. And if they want to contact me directly, you can email me at SportsTalkBuffalo at Yahoo.com. Once again, thank you for listening and enjoy the episode. All right, let's jump right into things here in segment number one and talk about the Buffalo Bills offseason. The combine has passed and the Buffalo Bills definitely have some needs to attack this offseason, though surprisingly not too many in my opinion if you really go through it and look at the roster and who they have on their roster and who they have signed and coming back the Bills have a very solid squad coming back there's a few areas that really need to be upgraded to make the Bills from not just a playoff team but a potential AFC contender and a Super Bowl contender in this upcoming year now Like I said, you go over the Buffalo Bills roster and there's a couple of needs that seemingly jump right out to you. And the first area of need, in my opinion, is a defensive end. Now you look at their roster and currently their best two defensive ends are Jerry Hughes and Trent Murphy. And if they go into the season with those two as their top two defensive ends, the Buffalo Bills will not get a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks from the edge rushers. Both guys had okay seasons, but not for the the amount of money that both of these guys are seemingly making. So the Buffalo Bills really need to go out and upgrade those or that position. And one way that they can actually upgrade this position, in my opinion, is to try to re-sign somebody that they already had in Shaq Lawson. Now, if you asked me two years ago, three years ago, if I wanted the Buffalo Bills to re-sign or even potentially consider re-signing somebody like Shaq Lawson, I would have told you that you are absolutely out of your mind. But if you watched uh, if you watched him at all this year, he was very, very good. Uh, he had 18 QB hits, which Hughes and Trent Murphy had combined in this past season. And if you watch the game tape, he is the guy who came off the edge that made quarterbacks step up in the pocket, which allowed guys like Jordan Phillips to get a lot of sacks during this season. 
Shaq Lawson himself had six and a half sacks this season, and he also had uh, quite a few tackles for loss. Now, like I said, I'm sorry, 13 tackles for loss. There it was. 13 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks on the year. He had a really solid year, even though he was playing behind Trent Murphy. Now, I think if you give him the amount of money that Trent Murphy's making, more money, uh, they said that he could potentially get some, somewhere upwards of about $12 million per year on the open market. And from the articles I've read, it doesn't appear as though Shaq Lawson really wants to come back to the Buffalo Bills. So you're going to have to sign him to a very good contract in order to get him to come back. And I think that you're going to have to make him the starter. Now, again, I'm not very happy with Trent Murphy uh, coming off of last year and, you know, the knee surgeries and things like that. I thought that maybe, you know, I thought, you know, maybe what the Bills thought, which was if he could potentially get to his form of nine and a half sacks or so, which he had seasons prior, that the Buffalo Bills would have had a very good and solid player on a reasonable contract. But Trent Murphy just hasn't lived up to the billing that he had been previously in his career. And I think that Shaq Lawson really gives you that edge rush that the Bills are looking for. Now, again, if the Bills don't go after Shaq Lawson, uh, there is another potential free agent that I would like the Buffalo Bills to possibly consider. The edge rusher that I would like the Bills to possibly consider in the offseason and using a lot of, you know, using up some of that, that cap space that they have, Mario Addison, a potential free agent. He turns 33 and he has a connection with Sean McDermott. He is going to be leaving the Carolina Panthers and he was uh, a player under McDermott uh, in 2016, I believe. Here are the stats for Addison over the past four seasons. He's had nine and a half sacks in 2016, uh, 11 sacks in 2017, nine sacks in 2018, and nine and a half sacks in 2000 and, or 2018, he had nine sacks. 2019, he had nine and a half sacks. So in the last four seasons, he's also had 38 combined tackles for loss and 56 quarterback hits. He's also had two forced fumbles in each of the last four years. This is a guy who I think Sean McDermott should really be going after and targeting in the offseason, or Brandon Bean should be targeting in the offseason to bring into the fold for Buffalo. Is he an older guy? Yes, you know, he is an older guy at 33 years old, but it doesn't appear his production is dipping at all. And if the Bills can sign him to a halfway decent contract, not break the bank with him, I think he would be an incredible addition on that Buffalo Bills defensive line who have guys like Harrison Phillips coming back into the fold with Ed Oliver and Star Latulale. And even if you just keep guys like Trent Murphy and Jerry Hughes to potentially play the other side, I think the Bills will be in good shape along that defensive line. Now, one of the guys that, or one of the other areas that is a little bit less, I don't want to say less important, but seemingly a little bit, just a smidgen less of a need than defensive end for the Buffalo Bills is wide receiver. Now, a lot of people really do expect the Buffalo Bills to go hard at the wide receiver position in this upcoming draft. 
As they say, it is a very, very deep draft for wide receivers this year. I'm one of those people. I think the Buffalo Bills should absolutely go after a wide receiver, and I think they should go after him, especially after looking through the uh, you know the edge rushers in this upcoming draft and seeing that you know I don't think a lot of the guys fit that kind of first round billing unless the Bills trade way up and get somebody in you know the top two three maybe four guys at the defensive end position in this draft I think the Bills should sit tight at where they are at the 22nd overall pick they don't move up and they draft wide receiver T Higgins Six foot four, two hundred and sixteen pounds. He is a slender build guy, but I watched some of his game tape, especially before I really made a choice on him. I had a friend tell me about him, kind of turned me on to him, and I've watched him a little bit more. He is the wide receiver out of Clemson, and he had a very solid season. He caught fifty six passes for over eleven hundred yards. One of the knocks on him though was that he plays in the ACC, and he kind of beat up on a, on some lesser cornerbacks in this past season but when you watch the game tape a couple of things stick out to you right away one of the things that stick out to me right away and the pros side of this is his strong ball skills he high points the ball very 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 well he is the type of receiver that if he is one-on-one you can throw it up to him and let him go get it He is a very good uh, receiver at being able to shield off the defender using his his big body, his big frame to shield him off on back shoulder throws and really uh, he uses his hands a lot. That is an absolute beautiful thing. If you are looking in terms of scouting somebody, a wide receiver, you want a wide receiver that doesn't let the ball get into his body too much and that has very strong hands and kind of plucks the ball out of the air. T. Higgins is that guy. Now, he did not run at the combine. He said he needed some more time, and I've seen a couple of different conflicting uh, 40-yard dash times. I've seen one 40-yard dash time on his pro day that said like he ran somewhere in the 4-4s, and then I've seen another one where it said he ran like a 4-5-6, I think that no matter what he ran in terms of uh, speed, he has adequate enough speed to be able to make big plays in the NFL and at the next level. Some of the things that he will need to do in order to better himself at the next level is he's got to become stronger. He has a very slender frame and he could potentially do well to put on maybe 5 or 10 pounds of muscle to really be able to absorb the hits and and withstand the rigorous physical element of the NFL that maybe you don't necessarily have to deal with in college. Another thing that I've seen is he might have a problem with press man coverage at the next level. He doesn't seem like he gets off press coverage very well, but he made up for it in college with his superior ball skills I'm not sure he he will be able to do that at the next level, which is why I said I think he needs to get stronger, and I think that he needs to really work on being able to beat that press man coverage. Another thing that is concerning is he has a very limited route tree in terms of the amount of routes that he did run in college. Now, 
That is something that, in my opinion, is very fixable, very coachable, and something that he can improve upon as time goes on. He doesn't necessarily have to step in and be the superstar, legitimate, you know, number one Odell Beckham wide receiver, wide Odell Beckham type wide receiver that you know some of the other teams have because we have John Brown on that other side. Now, John Brown on the other side will do some things in terms of being able to open it up underneath, open it up, uh, you know, in terms of over the middle and things like that, and really kind of take the pressure off of a young rookie wide receiver and just allow T. Higgins to really acclimate himself into the NFL. A third area of need for me that I believe that the Buffalo Bills had was at tight end. Now, they do have Dawson Knox, and he showed flashes of of being someone that could be a potential big-time problem in the NFL. He was just very inconsistent, and I think that he will grow upon that in the upcoming season as he learns the NFL and really gets acclimated to the league himself. I think that they're really expecting big things out of him. Now, as I said that, I think that the tight end position is a potential position of need for the Buffalo Bills. The Bills did redo the contract, restructure the contract for Tyler Croft from $5.6 million to just $4 million and $3.4 million guaranteed, and they deleted the entire third year of his deal. That, to me, says they believe that the three, wide, or the three tight ends that they have, the four tight ends that they have, on the roster right now, which is Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney, Lee Smith, and of course, now Tyler Croft. Now, like I said, I think that Dawson Knox could be a a potential legitimate number one tight end in the NFL, and it, it appears that they are trying to free up some money and that they are happy with the tight ends that they do have right now for the Buffalo Bills. Now, the Buffalo Bills did make some offseason uh, signings had already made some free agent signings in the offseason is what I wanted to say. Uh, the one is the quote big name for the Buffalo Bills so far. Hopefully this isn't the biggest name that the Bills go out and go get is uh, veteran cornerback Josh Norman. Now I know a lot of people kind of poo-pooed the idea of Josh Norman and of course I probably would too. He looked old. He looked slow. He looked you know really past his prime and you know not the player that he once was in Carolina, but I think that him being able to come underneath the uh, tutelage again of a Sean McDermott and be able to really kind of push the number two Levi Wallace and maybe even play some nickel corner, it doesn't hurt to bring in a veteran who's been there, a Pro Bowl veteran who whose last Pro Bowl was ironically under Sean McDermott in 2015. And really kind of uh, help the younger guys along in this NFL. Uh, Another guy that the Buffalo Bills did sign, who a lot of people love, I love this signing also, is guard Quinton Spain. They signed Spain to a team-friendly three-year deal worth $15 million overall. Quinton Spain signed a one-year contract, a one-year prove-it-deal contract with the Buffalo Bills and earned himself another three-year, $15 million contract. Spain started all 16 games at left guard for the Buffalo Bills, and allowed just one sack, and had just two holding penalties in the entire season last year. So a fantastic signing by Brandon Bean and the Buffalo Bills. 
A lot more things are going to be happening in this upcoming offseason. So stick around and pay attention to this podcast as I will be breaking down all of the things that the Buffalo Bills do this offseason. Uh, in this next segment, so stick around for the next segment. In the next segment, we're going to talk about Jim Weitzel and how I felt he did in his first full season as the UB Bulls men's basketball head coach. So stick around. It's going to be a fun one. All right, let's jump right into segment number two and start talking about Jim Weitzel's first season at the helm of the UB Bulls men's basketball team. Now, the Bulls did finish the season with 20 wins, going 20-12 and 12 overall, but I believe that the, the Bulls definitely had a lot more talent and a lot more to give this season than what they were, than Weitzel was able to kind of get out of them. I believed that the talent on this team could have potentially gotten the, the Bulls 23 to 25 wins, but on the good or on the plus side, this is just the second time at the Division One level that Jim Weitzel has been able to hit that 20 win plateau. Now, some of the takeaways from this first season of Jim Weitzel being at the helm. It appears that Jim Weitzel is very well respected, not just in the locker room, but around the entire NCAA, media, other coaches. Everyone seems to have a great deal of respect for Jim Weitzel. Another thing that I've noticed is Weitzel appears to have assembled a very solid staff that is very good with recruiting. After Nate Oates left, the Bulls lost essentially every, not essentially, they lost Every single recruit, they lost their entire recruiting class coming in, which would have been the best recruiting class in the history of the program, potentially, in terms of how highly all these guys were rated. The Bulls were really set up to continue their dominance in the MAC conference, uh, but unfortunately, Nate Oates did leave. He kind of pulled a quick one on, on the Bulls only, what, five days after signing the contract, and going down to Alabama, but you know what? Good for him. He definitely struggled his first year in Alabama. He's got to build that program the way he built up the University at Buffalo, and it really paid off the last two seasons for the Bulls as they had two of the best years in school history, not just school history, but in MAC history itself. After losing their entire recruiting class, Jim Weitzel and his staff had to go out and really formulate a plan and really bring in guys that they could potentially continue to cultivate and and just keep this train on the tracks and not completely derail like it looked like they were potentially going to do after Nate Oates left. Now, something that cannot be understated is the fact that when Jim Weitzel was hired, or when Nate Oates left and Jim Weitzel was hired, he had to essentially re-recruit all of the guys that were already in the program. Guys like Nathan Williams, guys like Ronaldo Segu, guys like Javon Graves. He had to keep all those guys here in Buffalo if he really wanted a chance at sustained success. And he did a fantastic job with that. He also did a, in my opinion, he did a really solid job with a very limited amount of time to be able to bring in some of the really talented players that they were able to bring in. After they lost their entire recruiting class, one of the first guys, or I don't know if it was one of the first guys, but one of the guys they signed was center or power forward David Skogman. Now, Skogman had been recruited by some very high 
They're highly respected and very uh, like power five conference type schools. Uh, they He was recruited by the national champion runner-up Texas Tech, and he decided to come to Buffalo to play for the UB Bulls. David Skogman was a .88 on a 1.00 scale, essentially an 88% out of 100. He is a three-star recruit according to 274sports.com, which is where I look up all the guys and all the recruits that the, the Bulls bring in to kind of get a feel for how highly regarded these guys are coming into the program. Now, like I said, David Skogman was very highly recruited, had a ton of offers, so the fact that Jim Weitzel was able to bring him into Buffalo is something uh, speaks very well, I should say, for Jim Weitzel and his staff. Now, David Skogman did not play this year, and he was redshirted, but that's because I believe that the Bulls were really trying to get you know, the most out of the big guys that they had already here in Buffalo. They also were able to sign uh, top 40 JUCO recruit David Nickelberry, who had ties to the University at Buffalo as he was the AAU teammate of Ronaldo Segu. Now, Nickelberry didn't play very many minutes uh, in this past season. He has one more year, year of eligibility left for him, and I think and hope that he can really make an impact in this upcoming season. Another guy that they signed is Savion Gellion. Now, Gellion is not a very highly rated recruit, but if you watched the Bulls at all this season, it appears that they really know what they're doing. Gellion looks like an absolute gamer. This kid looks like he can come in, play really solid defense, play play big minutes, play hard, dive on the floor, and it looks like he can knock down some really key shots. He is a lot more smooth than I thought he would be, especially as a true freshman coming in in limited minutes. I thought that he looked very, very good. So again, bodes well for the talent that the Bulls are able to pull in and see in maybe not highly you know, recruited players, but you know, the lower the diamonds in the rough type players. Some of the other guys that got transferred to UB that UB was able to sign... One of them was a Laquell Hardnett, and they signed him away from Cincinnati. He transferred from Cincinnati. Coming out of high school, he was also a .88 and a three-star recruit. Now, a .90 and above is a four-star recruit, and I believe a five-star recruit is over a .98 or .99. So there's not a whole lot of five-star recruits. So getting a highly regarded three-star recruit, very, very good for the program. All these guys are top, uh, most of these guys are top 10 overall in terms of guys highly regarded coming into the program in terms of UB recruits coming in. Another guy who made a monster impact, and I don't know where, I don't know if the Bulls would have won 20 games without him, is Josh Imbala. He was second in the nation in offensive rebounds. Second in the nation. This kid is an absolute animal. He has a nose for the ball. When he gets his footwork down, and if he can add a little bit more of a post game and a little bit more of an outside game, he's going to be a real threat in the Mid-American Conference. He was a .82 three-star recruit from Texas Tech, the team that knocked the Bulls out of the NCAA tournament last year. He decided to flip-flop, come for the Bulls, and he played big minutes and a ton of minutes and was extraordinarily 
effective for the Bulls. He was huge for the Bulls this past season. So all these guys are still on the team. They're all coming back. And it should be a very interesting 2021 season for the UB Bulls. Now, also coming into the mix for this next season are a couple of guys that, again, bode well for the program itself. Both of these guys uh, are highly rated three-star recruits. The first one is Chance Robinson. He is a .87 three-star recruit. He is rated the 49th best point guard in the nation by 247sports.com and an 8.63 star recruit shooting guard Josiah Freeman he is rated the 74th best three or 74th best shooting guard in the nation coming out of high school this year with the two guys that the the Bulls have signed going into next season so far the Bulls rank number 1 in recruiting class for the MAC conference and 78th nationally so the Bulls are really looking to kind of keep the train moving, keep the train on the tracks. And I think so far, he, uh, Weitzel and his staff have done a fantastic, fantastic job. Now, one of the things that I think gets overlooked, and I overlooked it myself, don't get me wrong. I was very, very taken aback by the fact that out of all, out of all the first-year head coaches in the NCAA, Nobody had less returning minutes from the previous year than Buffalo and Coach Jim Weitzel. Nobody had less returning minutes from the previous year's team than for a first-year head coach than Jim Weitzel. He had, and he did it with a greater strength of schedule than the Bulls had last season. So, in order, you know, the fact that they got to the twenty-win mark. Was it a very disappointing end to the season? Yes, it was. But I guess at this point, it doesn't really matter. The NCAA tournament is essentially canceled. The MAC tournament was canceled. All these things are getting canceled for the pandemic that's going on in the coronavirus and everyone's freaking out, but they're really trying to contain it. So if that's going to be the way that they can contain this thing, fine. I have no problem with that. But uh, I do have, you know, I, I was a little bit disappointed with the way that the Bulls ended their season. They got beat by a team who wasn't very good but we'll go over that in a, in a second. The Bulls had some very, very solid wins this year in terms of uh, you know teams in conference and out of conference that they were able to beat. William and Mary, the Bulls were able to beat. They uh, William and Mary ended up a 21-win team. They beat DePaul. Now, at the time, this was a very, very big win. DePaul was heavily favored to beat UB and potentially be ranked in the top 25 in the season. And the Bulls went into DePaul and beat them and uh, pretty much spoiled their bid to be a ranked team. Another big win the Bulls had was against St. Bonaventure. Now, this wasn't a really talented St. Bonaventure teams of the past, but they still were a 19-win team and the Bulls were able to defeat St. Bonaventure. Another big win this time in conference was against Bowling Green and they did it at the end of the, at the, end of the year in crunch time. So a huge win for the Bulls there. They beat Bowling Green, who ended up as a 21-win team just above the UB Bulls. And another big win the Bulls had was against Akron. Now, Akron was a the surprise of the MAC Conference. They had 24 big wins, and the Bulls were able to beat them at least one time uh, this season. So that bodes very well for them being able to compete with essentially anybody in the Mid-American Conference. And this year, 
the, the MAC conference was essentially just wide open. Anybody could have won it. In my opinion, uh, the MAC, the MAC conference tournament, anybody really realistically could have won it. Uh, it was just a shame that they had to cancel the entire thing. Uh, even though the bulls lost, um, they had some really, really bad losses, some really frustrating losses that I watched this year, man, Dartmouth, Watching the Bulls lose to Dartmouth in their in their first uh, regular season game was, you know, man, that was brutal. That was really hard to watch. The Bulls couldn't score. They they defended okay. You know, they only allowed 68 points from Dartmouth. But Dartmouth isn't a team that should be, I don't want to say on the same court, but they're not even a team that should be in the same building as the Bulls in terms of talent. And they should have blown Dartmouth right out of the water. Another team that I think exactly the same thing about is the Army Black Knights. The Army Black Knights came into Buffalo and just put a beat down on the UB Bulls through and through for 40 straight minutes. The Bulls did not stand a chance. Their defense was completely shredded by the Army Black Knights. Another bad loss was against Ohio. Ohio was, I believe, like a 16-win team or 15-win team, something like that. So that was another loss that I would really like to see the Bulls turn that into a W for next season. And of course, the biggest loss, the worst loss in my opinion on the year was against Miami of Ohio. They had 12 wins coming into the MAC Conference game and they the Bulls allowed them to come into Buffalo in the opening round of the Mid-American Conference Tournament and beat them in their own building. That's something that the Bulls will definitely have to work on not getting down early in games, and being able to keep that intensity throughout the entirety of the game. That's something that they really, really struggled with. Now, overall, offensively, I thought the Bulls were above average. They did average 78.6 points per game, but it seemed it seemed like they did a lot more one-on-one type plays, high ball screens and things like that, and they weren't necessarily making that extra pass to get the guy the wide-open shot that they were doing, or, you know, the nice pass down low, something like that, to get the easy buckets that they, that, you know, Bulls fans have been accustomed to seeing over the past few years. Now, on the offensive glass, the Bulls were absolutely dynamite, and the big part of that was, of course, Josh and Bala, but overall, the Bulls averaged 42 rebounds a game, and that is a very, very solid number. The Bulls out-rebounded most teams that they played against, and that is a big reason for their success and having that uh, another 20-win season. Defensively, I would say this about the Bulls, that they were wildly, wildly inconsistent for most of the year. Now, they finished allowing 75.8 points per game to their opponents and a 43, a .40, or 43.5% Uh, field goal percentage while the Bulls only shot 43.3% field goal percentage themselves. So they looked completely, completely lost at times. And other times they looked fantastic. Lockdown defense. They looked like they were the Bulls of last year where nobody was going to score. They were going to outscore everybody. They were diving on loose balls. They were getting everything, you know, where there was like a lid on the rim. It there was times where I was like, man, this team is so, so good. And then times where I just thought to myself, where is the team that I thought was so, so good? Overall, even though I believe that the roster was more talented than a 20-win season, 
given what was lost in terms of two of the best players in school history, three other guys who were major contributors last season, I would say that the first season at the helm for Jim Weitzel and his staff was a very big success, and I look forward to him being able to build on the success of season number one moving further, and I really expect him to kind of retake the reins and be the Mid-American Conference team to beat. That's going to do it for this episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Thank you for joining me this week. Remember to spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Listen to me weekly here on Anchor. You can also hear me on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And uh, if you really like what you're hearing, make sure you leave uh, you know you leave a nice review for me to help this thing kind of grow organically. You can also help me grow this thing a little bit by telling your friends and family, hey, that guy is pretty interesting to listen to. He has a different he has a couple different points of view. Why don't you tune into his show and give him a listen? He's not like the talking heads on WGR all the time. He doesn't always like to talk about, you know, he's short, he's sweet, he gets to the point, and he's very passionate about the things that he is talking about. And he likes to have some fun along the way. So thanks again for listening, and you guys have a good week.